0: I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land and for this episode in particular, the Naradjuri people. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. So I moved to the Clare Valleys. With
1: with the idea that I might retire, I really I really had a hankering to play golf. Um, I'd, I'd learnt to pay bridge on a kibbutz in Israel and I thought gee I'd really love to take that up fascinating game good for the brain and I haven't done either.
0: This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stephanie Toole has been making wine in the Clare Valley of South Australia since the early 90s. Always insisting on quality first and uncompromising in leaving the land better than she found it. She forms an integral part of the Clare Valley story. Hi Stephanie thanks for joining me. Good uh, afternoon how is everything? Uh, Fantastic. Thank you so much for making some time for me today. How are you and where where are you situated today? So I'm in the
1: absolutely beautiful Clare Valley uh, in the small village of Auburn, which is right at the beginning of the Clare Valley. And uh, it's a bit of a wintry day, but not enough rain. We could do with some of your rain. So just send it on down. um, We're a bit late in the season getting the rainfall, so any time now would be good. And um, looking forward to our chat.
0: (laughs) Well, it's lovely to hear. I actually have I hear from a few people that have said send on the rain, and it's so so unfair that we just, you know, we cop it all and we can't do that for you. We can't just say, you know, I, I keep saying to my partner, surely we can create an underwater ground system that can, you know, funnel it where it needs to and, you know, I'm sure it's very easy to do and that's why they haven't done it yet. Yes, but, uh, exactly. <laughs> now I want to talk a little bit about your journey in wine. Um, where did the journey of wine begin for you in terms of what was your first memory of wine? Oh, first memory.
1: Do you know, I actually do remember the very first glass of wine I had, and it's showing my age somewhat. Uh, Although I do believe that this wine still has a huge um, sales, and that's the good old Matus Rose. Ah, well, yeah. Yeah, And I was probably, I think I was old enough to drink. I know it was in a restaurant, and it was ever so posh. And. you know, the the little slight sparkle and the very slight pink and um, felt very grown up. Um, But that wasn't really my journey. So I didn't really get into wine until um, much later and I was living in London and um, became became involved in um, tastings uh, for a a well-known bottle shop over there in Brompton Road and so when i moved to australia in 1986 i really had no knowledge of australian wine so it, you know i had a good grounding in um european wines but to be honest i didn't even know where the barossa valley was now that might sound strange but i'm <clears throat> i was actually born in new zealand so <laughs> um i i was sort of very green as to what where the various um wine producing areas were. Of course, I'd been to Margaret River a couple of times because I moved to Perth um, and had been in Perth previous to the to the move. Um, I knew exactly where Margaret River was, but I was a little bit hazy on the old South Australian wine regions. So in Perth, I... Um, I was actually a PA and because I had no knowledge of Australian wines, I thought it was about time I got myself educated. So I en- enrolled in a TAFE course and that then led to a more advanced wine course and the more advanced wine course um, owner uh, actually offered me a job and I, I said, well, no, no I'm, I'm okay, thanks. I'm quite happy where I am. <laughs> And he said, "No, no, 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 I think you would be a great it was um a, a sort of a fine wine store, and no, I'd really want your skills, your background and organizational skills and all and also your palate so um he wore me down, and I went to work in retail to start off with, and that then led to um." wholesaling and I worked in wholesale for a a few years and then started my own wholesale business before moving to the Clear Valley um, a few years later so I've been here nearly 30 years in fact this is the longest I've lived anywhere in the world.
0: (laughs) Well must be because you love it no doubt but who was that person that um, wanted you to get involved in the in in retail and and wanted to give you that wine job because I feel like we have to say a little thank you.
1: Yeah, so his name was Kevin Lukey, and he probably recognized that, you know, I did have a passion for wine and a reasonably good palate. And he gave me my first introduction in retail, and then I got poached by a very well-known wine identity in Perth called John Jens, and I worked for him for quite a few years as well. Well, a couple of years. It seemed to move. Uh, things moved quite quickly in, in a way.
0: Yeah. I think that's really interesting that you kind of got involved in retail, then wholesale, then into winemaking. That's really interesting. I mean, you had a great knowledge base of, of kind of how the logistics of things worked, didn't you?
1: I did, actually, yes, but no actual practical um, experience at all. So I moved to the Clare Valleys. With, with the idea that I might retire, I really, I really had a hankering to play golf and I had played bridge on my, in my travels around the world in previous years. Um, I'd, I'd learned to play bridge on a kibbutz in Israel and I thought, gee, I'd really love to take that up. Fascinating game. Good for the brain. And I haven't done either.
0: Oh, no, I was about to say because the idea of golf and bridge actually sounds quite idyllic, you know. (laughs) That's what I thought. (laughs) Exactly. So you purchased Mount Horrocks in 1993, I believe. Why did you enter into buying a wire in the state? Why not just go and work for somebody else and get the experience that way? Yeah,
1: that's a very good question. Well, I was actually – Pregnant, so I moved to um, to the Clare Valley to be with my current partner, Jeff, um, and he owns Grosset Wines. And so my first vintage was ninety three, and I was twelve weeks pregnant, and um, I just sort of, you know, worked through the whole thing. And this and Mount Horrocks came up for sale, and. I remember saying to Jeff, well, look, that would give me something to do. So obviously had no idea how much time babies, children, motherhood took up. Um, And so um, had Georgina that year and then Alexander 15 months later. So it was a busy time, new business, new whole new career and two little babies,
0: really. Oh, he did it the the easy way, just you know, just smoothly glided into it. <laughs> I just figured if I had them together, I could
1: get all lots of things done together, like potty training, <laughs> all of that. And that worked out quite well.
0: <laughs> I think it maybe says something about the way you look at things because I don't think that you've always gone the easy route in life, and certainly in terms of your winemaking, I don't think you have. so maybe that says more something about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perhaps. <laughs> I want to talk a bit about the Clare Valley. Um, making stretches back in the Clare over 160 years and the region's been so important um as part of our Australian history. Can you touch a little bit about the importance of the Clare and maybe how you've seen it develop over the years and, and, and why it's important in our Australian identity?
1: Absolutely, um, it's a really small wine producing region for a start off. I think at the moment it accounts for about one point five percent of the Australian production. So that gives you an idea. It's it's small in production, but it's also smaller in um, area. So about twenty six kilometres long and about eight kilometres wide, and the, and a, a main road going sort of up the middle, and. Um, you know, vineyards either side of the road and little, little valleys and little sub regions going off that main road. It's so, it's like a plateau more than anything because as you come into the Clear Valley from the side, say, um, you actually drive up, you, you, you drive up rather than down. Um, and so the, the elevation is, uh, my vineyard particularly is quite high, it's 480 meters. Um, but we, I guess we're well known, obviously, for Riesling and also reds. We actually grow in the region more reds than Riesling. But our climate is quite, um, well, it's suited for both varieties, which I think is quite unusual from a a European point of view. Uh, We have long sunny days. Um, so with Margaret River, we have the most sunshine hours of any premium wine producing um, region in Australia. And with those long sunny days, we have very clear and um, cold nights. So that means that the acid retention, um, we, we can retain acid. Um, and we're only about an hour away from the sea. We're not maritime, we're continental, um, but we do get an influence from that sea, from a sea breeze. So I would say um, we actually probably are more well known than what most people think when it relating it to size. Um, and we are mainly, we, we're not, we're not, um, we don't have a lot of the great big com- uh, wine companies. They're, they're smaller most often family-owned with um, some of them now coming into their second and third generations. So, yeah.
0: You're right. I think that the the reputation of the Clare for relative visit size is is says so much about the quality of wine coming out of there. Um, but the production, you know, of, of Shiraz and Riesling really helped, um, I think, put a spotlight of Australia on an international map um, and those two um, varietals are still so important today. I want to talk about two varieties that you make um, exceptionally well. Riesling, of course, we cannot go past it. I want to talk a bit about your Cordon Cut, but also um, a little bit about your Nero de Avila as well. I think these are two great examples of, um, of different approaches that you have. So walk us through how you approach Riesling in, in, on, on your sites.
1: Okay, well, I think it's really important first to 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 say that um, I only make wine from my own vineyards, which is in in Waterville. So they're estate grown, single vineyard, small batch, and I'm certified organic and biodynamic. And I think that's really important for me and from from getting a perspective on the quality um, aspect. So Riesling is. Um, I've, Everything is hand hand done, um, hand picked. All the wines, vines are hand pruned. Um, I make a small quantity, as I said. I'm about two two and a half thousand cases, depending on the year. So I'm a, I'm you know a point zero 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 percent of um, the wine industry, um, and the Riesling is actually. Quite beautiful. It's a very special little site, uh, little vineyard faces south, which when I planted it 20 years ago was probably considered not ideal. And I find in today's climate and with our climate change and the way I manage the vineyards that it's actually perfect, get some um, late afternoon um, protection. And the fruit that comes in is quite – in very good condition. We don't have a um, an issue with disease um, disease threat. Uh, we have quite dry, mild weather. Um, as I said, hot in the in, it can get hot in the summer, um, but then the nights cool very quickly, which is ideal for riesling. So the Nero was, is really, it's, um, that was love at first sight. I tasted it in, uh, Rome in two, um, 2003. It was a really, really hot year in Europe, 2003. And, um, we stopped at a wine bar to have some lunch and got given this enormous Bible size wine list. And I f- sort of looked at the guy and said, look, I've really, you know, A lot of these wines, I I do know some of them. We get them in Australia. But perhaps you could choose something that I might not have had. And he came back with um, an incredibly reasonably priced Nero Davila from Sicily. And that was love at first sight. So back to Australia and hunted down um, where I could get the um, cuttings to plant. It did take quite a few years. They were only just being introduced into Australia and they'd had to go through, you have to go through quarantine and then into the nursery to be propagated. So I didn't get them actually in the ground until 2008. And then my first vintage was, or yeah, the first wine into bottle was in 2012. And it's just an absolute joy to make. It's a delicious, easy drinking, um, medium bodied, if it's a really hot day, you can chuck it in the fridge for half an hour. But it, what really struck me when I tasted it that first time in Rome was how I thought it would really suit our way of life and our, you know, the food, the weather, something a little bit less, you know, not as heavy, not as much oak, and just enjoy with food. So that was that was the narrow
0: makes so much sense to me and and it grows particularly well in those slightly warmer climates and like you said you know the alcohol levels aren't aren't through the roof so I think it's really fascinating because you are someone who's made some really classic beautiful varieties and that you're really at the forefront of thinking about what what might be next and and I mean you were one of the first to actually plant Nero in Australia I think. That right? Yes,
1: I was. Yeah, yeah, and definitely in the Clare Valley, there've been quite a not quite a few. There's probably um, three or four producers since that have planted Nero up here. Um, It's low yield. Well, I like I keep it low yielding, and um, it's uh, a naturally high acid variety, so it needs no adjustment, and it's just an absolute joy to make. It's just bright and juicy and delicious it's a great one yeah
0: absolutely agree with you and I think you like you said it does it suits um the, a lot of different food types it's a great wine that you could have with lunch you're not gonna you know need to have a four-hour nap after so it makes a lot of sense <laughs> you've taken into account a lot of a lot of our Australianisms to, to think about that far ahead and think about nearer to Allah in that place I love it um I also want to talk about your cane cucks. We, we briefly touched on not things not being particularly easy or making life easy for yourself. Um, your cordon cut is, you know, iconic in Australia. It is a wine that I remember first seeing in my first ever job in retail. It's a wine I've seen on nearly every wine great wine list I've ever seen, um, and it's a, a particularly risky way of treating um, sweet wines. So can you walk us a little, a little bit through that for us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And can I just say that tears have been shed over this one. <laughs> it's um, look, it, it, it sounds simple. We cut the canes and we le- leave the fruit to hang and raise naturally in the vineyard. Well, that that's all terrific. Um, so long as the weather behaves itself, and, and I must, I must admit, in most years, that's definitely not a problem. The year's been absolutely sensational. But because we don't have disease, so botrytis is almost um, known in the Clare Valley. Um, this is one way that I can make um, a dessert wine regularly. Um, every year, with some consistency, uh, without having to wor- to worry about whether I'm going to get vitritis or not. So the the canes are cut. So the vineyard is pruned, cane pruned. So it's pruned differently, and the canes are cut, and the fruit is left, as I said, to hang and raisin. So not all the canes, just fifty percent, because you've got to have the arms to wrap down for next year. And as soon as and and with this wine, I I never sample. So with the other, the other varieties, you know, I'm in the vineyard and I'm taking berry samples and they go back into the lab and we test it for acid and, and bome and, and pH. Um, with the cordon cut, I pick entirely on taste and sight and I feel that it's ready. So I'm in the vineyard checking it regularly and then when I think it looks right and it tastes right, I pick it. Um, It's such a a clean, fresh and delicious dessert wine. In some years, like um, the last couple of years, have been quite high residual sugar. Surprisingly, most people don't come anywhere near guessing the, the amount of residual sugar, but the balance of the fruit... The, the residual sugar and the acid is is there. So it's quite deceiving. Um, and as I said, it's quite fresh and clean. It doesn't have that cloying sort of um, sickly aftertaste. It's, it's really delicious. Mm, and it ages so mm. well. It does, yeah. It does age very well. And, you know, um, in 2005 or six, I can't remember which year, it was served at Queen, Queen Elizabeth's 80th birthday in London, and that was really—it um, was that was great because there were only four wines served at that luncheon, at her official um, luncheon, and the Coronca—the Coronca was the only Australian wine, so that was. I was quite chuffed about that. Yeah,
0: what an honour. I feel like you should have got an invite to that lunch, you know, if I you were providing too. the <laughs> Maybe they Definitely. can go in the suggestion box for next time. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I mean, you, you you touched on the fact that you're certified organic and biodynamic. I mean, that process doesn't happen overnight. Um, when did you, you decide to go on that venture? And, and I'm sure that now it's all Done with it, it's um, something you're really proud of, but it must have been a bit of a process to get underway.
1: Well, when I planted the vineyard in 2000 and 2001, I knew then that I wanted to uh, manage the vineyard as organically as I could. Um, The use of herbicides and pesticides, and in particular, uh, Roundup, just didn't make sense to me in this climate that we um, enjoy. So um, the vineyard was managed organically to start with. And then I realised that, you know, to do something, you've really got to do it properly. It, there's no half measures. You know, you're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. You're either certified or you're not certified. And I just feel felt then that that was the way to go, and I've been certified for over ten years now. Um, it's there is a process you go through, um, so you you become organic in conversion, and then you get your certification. And you know they um, Australian Certified Organics um, monitor it yearly. We have audits. It it makes you authentic. It makes you accountable. Um, it's all very well saying, "Oh, I, I use organic practices where I can," and that's that's fine. Um, but I just think the certification is that one step um, up on that. And from the organics, my interest, you know, of course, it just you sort of progress, new um, learning, and my interest turned to biodynamics. So I'm in my fourth year of biodynamics and already I feel like I can see a definite improvement in the soil and the vine health and as well as using um, that in my vineyard um, practices, for the last 15 years, I've been planting around a 1,000 trees every year and I've got quite a large area that's not vine. and I feel like that's all part of the biodiversity uh, as well, introducing um, insects, bird life, animals and um, just all part of that ecosystem. It's not just one thing. It's not just about spraying biodynamic five hundred and five hundred and one it's there's more to it than that so yeah it's about giving back and making the land a better place than when I got it so it was it was a, a grazing piece of grazing land hadn't been planted to vines before and and i, I already um the farmer i bought it off he he said to me last year he said it's absolute credit he said i can't believe what you've how you've turned this around so that was nice
0: amazing i mean yeah no no easy feat and um such a credit to you to to be doing that and uh I know that you know whatever happens in the future, that piece of piece of dirt is in incredibly good hands. Um, I want to talk a little bit, just very briefly, about the uh, major challenges of the Clare Valley. I think most of the most redeeming features of the Clare are that it's quite regional, it's boutique production, but it also is in isolation, and so there must be challenges that come with that. What what is the hardest part of working in the Clare? And then also. What? Why do you think it's a wonderful wine region to work from?
1: Um, the challenges. Look, I don't see a lot of challenges here. I think probably we're seen as being a bit far away from Adelaide. And now you you would laugh at that because we're an hour and twenty minutes. <laughs> I mean, people commute in Sydney that sort of distance almost every day. Um, that understanding that we're actually more accessible than people think Um, during these COVID times we've had a lot of people a lot of people um, visit saying well this is the first time I've ever been to the Clare Valley Um, and they live in Adelaide not I don't mean interstate people either Um, so we need I think probably we need to get out you know it's all very well being a best keep secret but I would prefer that we got more visitors I think that's important um we're doing wonderful things I think um the wines here are um
0: a truly world class a lot of people say oh Claire Valley it's out on its own and I think well yeah but like what's an hour's drive an hour and 20 minutes what's that like it's it seems to be talked about like it's on the other side of the world sometimes and exactly. i just think well God, australia's a big place you know like next door is sometimes an hour away <laughs> it's kind of crazy <laughs> that's true
1: and i mean the barossa valley is only an hour from here um so it's it's a, it's quite doable to to get around the the wine regions in um south australia quite easily but also when you're in the Clare valley it doesn't take very long to get from one Point to another, you know, from Auburn to Watervale to Seven Hill to Clare. I mean, it's a twenty minute drive from Auburn to Clare. Hmm. It's it's very very close and it's very easy, and the the wineries are very close, and you know, some of them are just five minutes, some of them two minutes beside each other. So it's it's a it's a very doable place to visit.
0: Absolutely, and it's just yeah. it's I haven't been out there, so I you know wrap me on the knuckles, um, but uh, I've been dying to, to, to get out there. I think that, you know, some of the Shiraz that I've tasted from the clear tastes unlike anywhere else in you know, Australia um, and, and particularly Riesling. It's, we've seen such a... A wonderful journey of Riesling, and so much of that is thanks to you and your husband. I actually want to share this story with you, which you probably remember. I've served you a few times, um, you and your husband, and I'll never forget the first time I was a younger soul and I, I didn't know who I was serving. And it wasn't until my kind of mentor pointed out that's um, Stephanie Toole and Jeffrey Grosset, and I was like, great, who are they? And then she <laughs> told me and I thought, I wish you hadn't told me until they left because now I was so incredibly nervous. <laughs> um, but we had a lovely time and, and I'm sure you had a lovely lunch, hopefully. But I remember the second time, um, it was funny. I, I, You came in and and uh, I was briefing the team and some of the younger some said to me, and who are they? And I was like, they are the king and queen of Australian reasoning and if you don't <laughs> know who they are, that is your homework. You come back and tell me. And I thought that was kind of cruel because my, my mentor was much nicer <laughs> me when I asked that question. Um, but I, I remember yeah. um, thinking, oh my gosh, what if they asked me about Riesling in my opinion on what to drink? And I kind of had a moment where I was like, holy God, <laughs> what am I going to say? <laughs> oh no, I hope we're not, at, I hope we're not intimidated. Not at all, the absolute <laughs> opposite of that. I had such a great old time and, uh, you know, I definitely made the most of it and i to ask you a few questions to learn a few things, um, seeming, seemingly appropriate questions, but um, it, it was lovely. But I just remember thinking, you know, that's a really – a funny little moment of, of the first time I met you and the second time, and, and uh, uh, you're just absolute delights to have in a restaurant. So any song would be so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I ask everybody that's on the podcast, if you could only drink three boozy beverages for the rest of your life, Stephanie, what would they be and why?
1: Oh, I have to say champagne. I am a bit of a lush. Um, um, probably Riesling. It's going to be all wine. I'm not, you know, I drink the occasional gin and tonic and the occasional beer if it's a really, really hot day and I'm really, really thirsty. Um, And I quite like single malt. But I would have to say champagne. I would have to say Riesling. And then I probably, I don't know, I'd be tossed up between Cabernet and Shiraz. Just thinking about what's in my cellar, although I do drink a reasonable amount
0: of Pinot as well. But both, (laughs) that's more than three, isn't it? No, I know, but once you get on a roll, it's hard, isn't it? You've got—it's like, you know, picking a picking a TV show. It depends on depends on what's happening around you, right, and what you feel like. Look, absolutely, it depends on what's
1: around you and what you feel like, and what
0: sort of day you've had. So <laughs> no many factors. Oh, definitely. Well, they are definitely some prestigious varieties that you've given us there: champagne, Riesling, and Cabernet or Shiraz. So. I definitely don't think you could go wrong with any of those. Stephanie, it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. I hope the next time we speak, I really hope that it's probably your beautiful cellar door in the um, old Auburn uh, train station or in your vineyards.
1: You're you're more than welcome. Let us know when you're going to make the trek
0: oh I really will do because I'd love to see some of your beautiful sights that I've heard so much about and um I hope the next time we speak you have a little bit more golf and bridge in your life as well <laughs> I doubt I doubt
1: it I'm, <laughs> um I feel like I'm so excited about the work being done in the vineyard that I'm probably working harder than I ever have but that's all right that's fine better than the um better than being bored <laughs>
0: And you do it so well. But don't forget to have a little bit of rest too. And uh, thank you so much for making the time. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Shantae. Such a pleasure. Cheers to you. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shantae Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at Pod. And contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.